0: Private Lender Podcast, Episode 79.
1: The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Margaret Thatcher, who said, Do you know that one of the great problems of our age is that we are governed by people who care more about feelings than they do about thoughts and ideas? What's up everybody and welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host Keith Baker and you're listening to episode number 79. And in case you didn't hear, yeah, you're going to get some bombs dropped on you today. I'm excited about today's episode and today's interview with Rashad Raspberry. But if you're looking for practical tips and advice on mitigating and eliminating risks with the investment vehicle known as private mortgage lending, then you're in the right place. But if you also want to learn from my mistakes so that you can avoid them and the mistakes of others, Then have a seat, my friend, because this is the podcast that is created for those who are looking to take control of their financial future by doing what it takes to create wealth in the marathon of life with old world techniques and values. I'm looking to create a tribe of lenders that will disrupt the way we think about money, not only the way we think about money, but especially the way that we teach our kids about money. Together, we can all prosper without the too-big-to-fail banks and brokers. Uh, No, (laughs) I'm kidding. This episode is sponsored by Quest Trust Company and their self-directed IRA Expo being held in Houston, my backyard from August 23rd, 25th, 2019. I attended last year. I was a vendor and I'm very excited to take part in the second annual Quest Expo. They really, I mean, Quest really does go out of the way to create just these wonderful networking and education opportunities that benefits all types of investors. And if you're within earshot, I highly recommend you make the trip to attend. And when you do stop by and, and say hi to me, I, I love to meet listeners. I love to meet other investors. I love to hear how people get creative financing. You know, sometimes it's stuff that I haven't thought about or haven't heard about. I think it was my grandfather used to say there was one way to cuss. No, skin a cat. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone knows that. But anyway, I got a little confused there down memory lane. So anyhow, go to com forward slash expo for the link. To purchase your ticket, and it's not an affiliate link. Um, I don't get any money. I just, as everyone knows, I want to beat Scott Carson over at We Close Notes. He won last year, or he got the most tickets sold uh, last year. So I'd like to uh, like to beat him. He's a great guy, but uh, I love a little friendly competition. So when you go to privatelanderpodcast forward slash forward slash expo, use promo code PL Podcast for twenty five percent off the already low low ticket price. So okay. The bills have been paid and now it's time to get down to the brass tacks. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to a new friend in the real estate investing world. I'm very excited that he accepted my invitation and took time to come on today's show. Let's go ahead and start talking about single family comps with Rashad Raspberry. Lender Nation, I'd like to welcome Rashad Raspberry to the Private Lender Podcast. Rashad, thank you for coming on and agreeing to come on and allowing me to abuse you with some questions today. So welcome.
0: Thank you, Keith. I'm happy to be here. And of course, hopefully the abuse is minimized today, but we'll see how we fare towards the end of the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good response. A little background, Rashad and I met actually not through real estate, but through soccer. Our daughters played on the same team together and I see him wearing a realtor shirt. And I'm like, Oh, real estate and <laughs> anything. One thing led to another one decent season of soccer with some kids. And now here we are. And so I'd like you to just give us a little background about yourself. Let Linder Nation know how you got into real estate and how you became a realtor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my venture into real estate was not your typical journey. So we tried to give all praises to our wives. And in this particular, I'll give all my wife. She actually got into real estate when we lived in Georgia back in 2010, 11. She was doing more property management and idea was more how do we become entrepreneurs with some of the things that we enjoy doing. And so when we moved to Texas about five years ago, she got licensed and we got into residential real estate sales. And so it took me a couple of years after her to kind of join that venture officially. I always helped her with contracts and working through deals because I just love numbers and I'm data driven so that it was a natural progression for me there. But I saw real estate as, as a way to generate wealth, just like most of us who get into this industry and also a way to create some autonomy with decisions right? as an entrepreneur. So been in it for a little under five years. We target the Katy, Spring, and Cypress markets, but we serve all of greater Houston. We work under our brokerage, Keller Williams Realty, but we brand and operate as Cornerstone Property Group specifically. So just trying to think through what are some other good nuggets there, but I don't want to bore the audience with my background.
1: <laughs> no, I like getting the background. It's like, you know, the origin story in the comic books. And we all kind of fall into whatever it is that we do, whether it be real estate or you know, like my day job with the insurance adjusting. I had no desire to go into insurance. It's very boring, but there I go. And then here I am now, private lending and talking about it, trying to help keep people safe. But you brought up a very good point that your numbers numbers driven. And that's exactly why I wanted you to come on on the show because we can talk about comps and ARV and really driving. Well, we'll definitely get into that. But one of the other interesting things is that not only do you do residential retail sales, you know, buyers and sellers, you also work with some investors and cash buyers. Absolutely. And and so kind of walk us through the obvious differences, I guess. And then maybe the not so obvious differences. I mean, cash buyers are not emotional. You know, it's, it's numbers. They get emotional in maybe the negotiation, but they don't get emotional on the property. So yeah. By and large. So, yeah, just kind of walk us through in your line of work what you've seen, what the, the differences are with the cash buyers for you.
0: Yeah, you know, cash buyers are definitely unique. I mean, you make a great point. I think a lot of the emotion tied to a specific property or multiple properties is typically not there, right? It's, it's more about return on investment. I think that's the beauty of working with cash buyers or investors in general is that we tend to help them with multiple deals. Right. So the work that I do with them is more in volume versus kind of a singular approach to a transaction. And they have more leverage more often than not. Right. Meaning that the Houston market has been strong for years. Right. In terms of being a buyer. Right. With all of the new construction that we have going on, there's a development. It seems like there's a new development in every suburban area popping up every quarter. Right. Yeah. So it makes it very difficult for those who are trying to sell the property to compete with new construction or regentrification and things like that. So with our cash buyers, our experience really kind of took off post-Harvey, right? So this time a couple of years ago was a unique position for all realtors, all investors, and really all homeowners in general, right? Not to diminish the impact of Harvey, but just to kind of keep it more real estate focused. We saw just a huge surge with our business with cash buyers, right? And so for Kim and I, it was a unique opportunity to one get more involved in that side of the deal, right? Because most of our market has been generated around first-time home buyers, right? So it's a completely different. And so we took on um, a handful of uh, investors, and and we loved it, right? The closing dates were reduced, say twenty plus days, right? With a cash buyer the experience that we got from learning about rehabs and working with general construction teams, right, to understand what material costs are, labor costs are, and ultimately, what can we do to get that house relisted for that investor and and help them get some return. So we're really shooting for the win-win in our business at all times. I think the most interesting part is I think back on the investment side of it is, the amount of work that it requires from a real estate agent to help a cash investor. Harvey, I think we looked on average. I was just going back through some of our data per client. We must have visited and touched on average, I think 10 to 20 homes. Per yeah. client, right. So that's not normal. Right.
1: right and, yeah.
0: <laughs> and so, but in that it was a learning experience, right? We saw from the memorial area all the way to Katie. Different price points, and we had to really help them with what you were referring to earlier: is how can I gauge a good ARV, but ultimately how can I gauge profit and revenue? So, I think the cash buyer, the investor in today's world, um, completely have leverage just about in any market, particularly here in Houston, because of our land mass and how much more we have available to do new construction. Right, that resale property or that distressed property out there that they may be targeting, sky's the limit,
1: right? Yeah. And you brought up a very interesting point because Harvey really shuffled the deck with everyone was worried about property values. And what is it? People were coming, how do we, this is the pre-Harvey ARV. (laughs) And now people started talking about a post-Harvey ARV. And and just to give I think some people some perspective, because I know exactly what you're talking about, but I just realized if Someone's not in the Houston area, that the Katy Spring kind of Cypress area is the kind of the northwestern quadrant, west of up to north. And Memorial is a very nice neighbor area, a collection of neighborhoods <laughs> south of I 10 that runs basically from, well, I mean, basically downtown all the way out to Katy. That's a pretty nice little swath there, but Buffalo Bayou runs right through it as well. So there was a, right. lot, a lot of houses that got affected by the flooding with Harvey down the Bayou. I'm curious, is I love the fact that cash buyers were a lot of work, but you did a lot of volume with them. Uh, so hopefully your work paid off and all the <laughs> properties paid yeah. off. But I was wondering, you know, here we are. We're coming up, like you said, on two years post Harvey. Um, my flood premium went up about $50 a year. Mm. Uh, so I'm happy because we didn't get, we were fortunate. We didn't get touched. Speak a little t- more t- just to the, the Houston market. If this was a, a nine inning baseball game, what? how many <laughs> innings do you, see? you know, and I'm not going to hold you to it, but like, what is your gut telling us? Because you know, Houston is special. We have a lot of rice fields that are getting converted into subdivisions. Like you said, you know, there's just tons of land all around. And so it's just build, build, build. So that makes us unique outside of, say, the West Coast or the East Coast. Absolutely. Is the starting pitcher still in? We got the middle reliever. Or are we bringing in the closer? Like, where are we in the cycle? Oh, man.
0: Now you're going to throw a curveball because I'm not much of a baseball fan, but let me take a stab at this. Okay,
1: all right. All right. Uh, how many substitutions have you made, and are are we into the extra minutes yet in the soccer game? <laughs> Where are we in the halves? You know, <laughs> let's do a soccer analogy since the kids. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I'll speak in terms of inventory, just kind of touching at that because I think that's important, right? So two years post Harvey, we still have. I'd say we're still in the in first quarter. We're still creeping into the second quarter or second half of the soccer game, right? So we're post-halftime at this point, meaning okay. a lot of the good buys or good investments where someone could come in and, and get a property for relatively next to nothing, right? Now there's just an oversaturation of investors flooding in for this market, right? So, and I'm not just talking about local investors. We're looking at foreign investments, companies coming in, right? Trying to look and purchasing at volume. You have people from out of state looking at this market. So the competition certainly has increased and intensified just like any game would, right, in the second yeah. half. But there's still inventory out there, right? It takes a little bit more of a creative approach to identify it. I think your investors kind of looking back at 20, early 2018, maybe even late 2017, as everyone was trying to wrap their head around what just happened, there were a lot of homeowners just looking to walk away right they were done maybe they were a part of the tax day flood earlier that year right or when was the tax day flood i can't remember but harvey was not like their first rodeo and so they were looking to just be done with it right and so on the investing side that's like yellow brick road right because here you can come in and save the day and it's a win-win for everyone now we we're at a place where the road's not so yellow right Yeah, You have to go in, your bids have to come in a little bit higher. You have to take some risk on your ARV, right? You have to take some risk on the materials that you're putting into the house, right? And what it's going to cost you. Sometimes you can use spec one materials that would be great for a home buyer, right? But depending on what the community looks like and the comps, which we'll talk about a little bit later for the homes around it, if they have like nice marble and granite, you're not going to be able to come in as an investor and keep the material costs and labor costs relatively low like you would in the first half, right? So I think there's a lot that has changed. Is there still opportunity out there? Absolutely. But time is ticking, right?
1: Yeah. And I try to dabble, do some wholesaling and some owner financing and whatnot. And I've literally gone to houses and there's our postcard and there's five, six other ones. And they're all lined out like, okay, I've got six investors coming. What's the best you can do? Mm -hmm. And, And I'm like, okay, now I'm on the spot. You know, I've done, I've done my research and I'm like, these are the numbers I'm, I'm going to come in with. And I think it was one time uh, I was out here in, in Katy over near Cimarron and I came in and you know needed some work. There had been some, unfortunately, she'd been divorced and the upkeep was uh, not what it should have been. And she didn't hire, let's say, the, the most qualified folks. I think there were some brothers and some cousins that came over to yeah. help here, put a little duct tape on this and whatnot. And so I, I came in and I said, look, I, I said, let me give you a range. Let me see. I'm going to say 115 to 120 because it's going to need this and blah, blah, blah. And she says, "Oh no, I've already no, I'm sorry, I've already gotten better bids than that." I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not risking to overpay it and get caught holding the bag. And look, I just, I just want to go on the record and say, like, I'm not trying to predict or get you to say that we're some big crash is imminent, right? Markets have corrections and bumps, and I mean, we saw it in the stock market recently. Yep. You know? Nice little 10% correction. Things need to get leveled out, whatever. So it's not like I'm trying to to predict like Nostradamus here. Like, okay, the next. 2008 will occur again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when are we going to hit that next bubble? Yeah. So let's hit on that for a second, right? So from okay. a real estate perspective, just the general rule of thumb that I've always followed, Keith. Right. So even as as a homeowner myself, right, and I'm looking at making my own investments as well. So what I can always tell you that has been true, tried and tested as it relates to investments in the Houston market is what is the economy look like, right? What does our employment look like, right? And not what does it look like current state? How has it fared over the last decade, right? And if you really study, and I'm not an economist by any means, right? But the key thing that I want to look at is, do we have job growth, right? Is it accelerated? Is our unemployment rate in the hole, right? And as long as those things and conditions are not, they're set the correct way, real estate will be fine, right? And I think that's the one thing that we can all follow in our market is that over the last decade or two, even though everyone who works in oil and gas will tell you, man, it's there's a huge ebb and flow to that. Yeah. But over the course of time, it's been pretty steady, right? Mm-hmm. I don't see many trends going like this as it relates to unemployment in Houston. And so that tells me there's always going to be a qualified buyer and a qualified seller as it relates to real estate transactions, right? Our people are gainfully employed and our economy is growing from a commercial standpoint. Guess what? That's a key indicator to me that we're just fine. So as it relates to the next bubble and predicting that, I think I would get some concerns when I see our unemployment rate spike, right? Or, Or something like that. But outside of those conditions, I tend personally not to really get emotionally Caught up in all of the other market conditions that could occur.
1: <laughs> I like that Texas tends to be very business friendly, certainly very lender friendly. That's why. That's why I'm very happy. Well, business, right? In Texas, yeah, <laughs> I can foreclose relatively quickly if I if I yep. need to. And we're a deficiency judgment state. So if if a house is sold, and let's say I I just talked about how I, I lost a, a my whole investment on a second lien, I have as a recourse, I can go file a lawsuit for the deficiency. And not every state does that. So that's why. Texas is very lender friendly. To Houston is the energy capital of the world. We live and die by oil. Even yeah. though that we've, ex- I remember growing up here in the '80s, interest rates were twelve, sixteen, fifteen percent on starter homes. Yeah, and they built this neighborhood in this field that behind my house. They, they, I was devastated. They came and bulldozed it. They built houses, and within about two years, so this is about '84, maybe somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. there was the uh, white foreclosure signs in the windows. It had like this little heading, you know, from the county county court and everything. And I uh, was that, that. what's that mean? A foreclosure. What is that? He said, most well, people can't afford the house. You know, they lost right. the job or whatever. And I actually interviewed a, a very successful real estate investor and, and now private lender who's basically wanting to ride off into the sunset. He came to Houston from Montreal in the early 80s. And he'll tell you to this day, because there was blood in the streets. You know, like there was opportunity yeah. and he just packed up, came on down and invested his way through it all. In 80s, you know, if anyone remembers the 80s in Houston, man, it was really, really bad. But you said that, and that's really the, even 08 wasn't that bad for us. I mean, nah. overall, I mean, compared to the coasts, but yeah. the 80s were really bad. So that's kind of like 88 or 82, 83. That's like our our 08 for Houston. But <laughs> I mean, my dad was in the oil field as well. He, I remember him sitting on the couch for a couple of months. Yeah. And going to every interview, doing everything he could. And then once oil came back around, well, hey, it's okay. But we're still people are still moving to Houston. They're still building. And this is the energy capital of the world.
0: I agree. And I think we have to balance doing a lot of predictions and gauging pulse on our market as it compares to the national landscape. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you mentioned, we're the energy capital of the world. But you look at some of the other industries that are lifting here in Houston. Right. Healthcare. Yep. Huge manufacturing, right? Professional services, all of these industries are I think I read somewhere during the first quarter of the year where we were looking to add like over 3000 manufacturing jobs to the city of Houston, right? That's great. So, yes, we're the energy capital of the world. However, we are such a diverse city in so many different ways that I think it's dangerous, right, to gauge our investments based on what's happening nationally versus what's actually happening more on a local market. Totally agree. We've teased it a
1: little. Let's get down into your (laughs) AR criteria. I've always said there's two different types of comps for me. There's the retail sale comp on the house. And then there's the, okay, I'm going to landlord this house. So you're not going to get a retail, you're not going to have the same fixtures and furnishings, like you said, generally speaking, unless you do put it and make it to to a high standard, which later on in the market cycle, it becomes more difficult to put that grain in, for example. But First, let's come at it from a retail perspective because I think the, okay. the best way to look at comps is from a, a realtor's point of view. Yep. So, on a retail sale, I'm buying a house or I'm putting my house on the market. You're my listing agent. How are you going to determine like, what beyond just the beds, baths, square footage? What are you looking at? Absolutely. So,
0: again, I'd be happy to talk to anyone about this more in depth. But first and foremost, from my point of view, I'm going to be looking at proximity, right? So, what I mean by that is, My subject property, what is my market doing within a half a mile radius, right? When you go to the Zillows of the worlds, which I think are great resources that that we all have at our fingertips to a certain extent, right? Or Black Knight or some of the other ones out there that will give you kind of your market value, right? What you have to realize is that those are algorithms, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: From a real estate point of view, a real estate agent point of view, I'm looking at the proximity first and foremost because kind of to the point I made about being careful about comparing the Houston market to the national landscape. Be very careful about comparing your property to a property that sold five miles away from your property, right? We have no zoning in Houston, right? That's critical. That's key, right? So proximity is going to be a key indicator that I will always start with, right? What are the homes within a half a mile radius like mine doing, right? In the market? How are they performing? How long does it take for them to sell, right? Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, right? What they sell for, right? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. that's what you want to know. And so I'd say proximity and then of course, age on the market, right? So what has sold recently, not within the last year, not within the last two years, right? I'd say within the last three months. I mean, heck, if you can get it down to the last month, now you're really building an accurate. Comp, yeah, based on some of those other characteristics, right? Square footage, fixtures, et cetera. You have to start, in my opinion, with proximity and date relevancy in terms of yeah. home sold.
1: I love the fact that the half mile radius because I've had some BPOs and some CMAs come back. It's funny because yes, I'm an investor, which means I'm notoriously cheap. But if I ask <laughs> what, a realtor something, I I pay for the CMA or the BPO. You know, i it's there's some houses that I've looked at before where the appraisers have come back and they said, it's too unique. We can't yeah. give an accurate appraisal. They're bare bones criteria. Let me get a, BP, a broker price opinion or a comparative market analysis. Just kind of the down and dirty. All you have to do is type in the address. MLS has got it down. Very easy. But like you said, there's an algorithm behind that. Absolutely. When someone has come to me and says, oh, look, your subject property is 1,800 square feet. Here's one for 1,300, three and a half miles away.
0: It does you no know good, right so our team at Cornerstone property group, we take all those things into consideration, but if it really requires a more in-depth look because this is what the appraiser is going to do mm-hmm. the appraiser is going to a good appraiser you're going to pay a few hundred dollars for each property that you right they're going to actually go to that property right yes. right and they're going to assess the materials on the exterior of that property right Is the hardy plank diminishing the wee holes expanding to where. There's signs of physical or weather damage, right? There's a lot of different factors. What does the land value look like, right? That the property sits on, and what's the surrounding amenities around that property, right? Schools, commercial, etc. So it's absolutely a more in-depth approach at looking at comparable values of that have sold. A real estate agent can do the exact same thing. The one key difference that we do is that we actually can get access to properties, right? inside yep. right and so that I think is the key difference when you're working with the real estate agent sometimes when you're looking at comps right what's inside that are on the market today right so I don't really focus on what's active on the market or what's pending necessarily but I think those are good properties to gauge and investigate right mm-hmm. to see okay if they were to sell at the listing price why would they sell at that price right and so you have to go a little bit further in to say okay forget Forget the year it was built, forget the square footage. What's inside that home that's driving that listing price or that pending price, right? And then let's see if it sells. And if so, right, we can stack rank that against some of the other properties like that that have sold recently to come up with a good indicator,
1: right? If I can get an appraiser that I trust, they go to the property, they're going to look at what materials are there. Is this Formica? Is it laminate countertops? Or is it something really oddball, because I'll go ahead and say this. Yes, I do one day want to acquire lots and lots of money. But in my experience, (laughs) the more money you have does not necessarily mean you have sense. I have walked into some houses. (laughs) 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 Royal Oaks, I'll give you a prime example. Went back another life when I was trying to sell window tinting. I went to this huge, I don't know, million plus home. And I walked into the kitchen. I swear to you, hand to God, it looked like a convenience store. It was this blue laminate. It's like walking into a Chevron station and going to get a fountain drink or a hot dog. That was their kid. The wife loved and the husband's like, man, whatever, just make her happy. I don't care. You know, but I'm like, oh my, it was just, when I look, if I have to say use a a realtor's comps or a BPO, what I like to do is drill down into the photos. And yes, there are professional photographers that take beautiful photos of homes, especially some of, I've seen on some of these newer uh, communities, uh, you know, like Bridgeland and what out here in Katy. These things look, I mean, they're obviously photoshopped. Yeah. Yeah. They're beautiful. But beyond the gorgeous image, what does it have? What can you see? Right. Is that hardwood flooring? Yeah. Is it laminate flooring? Because one thing I try to teach and preach people is don't fall in love with or don't be enthusiastic about your borrower's enthusiasm. You know, don't invest in their enthusiasm. <laughs> That's you right. Invest in good due diligence. And if it's marginal, don't be afraid to say no. Do you guys kind of do the same thing on a retail sale in a, in a relatively new community? You're going to have a lot of, the same homogeneity or whatever it is, you know, homogenous, right? I don't even Did I make up a word there? <laughs> but anyway, I mean,
0: uh, homogenous. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I follow you though. Hey, I'm yeah. a guy who can use context clues. That's okay. Fine. That's good. Yeah.
1: In that sense, you've got some similarities that you can rest upon. Basically, absolutely. Let's say you go into the Spring Branch area, something that's older. Houses are built in the 50s, right? It could be the original build. It could be something completely new. I guess. So, my question being is, when I'm diving into those things especially on an investment standpoint, I really hang my hat on that and those little details. Yeah, Does it have aluminum wiring in it? That kind of stuff. And so I tend to overanalyze maybe a little. I get a little paralysis sometimes. <laughs> but I learned from a guy I had on the show last year, Ray Sasser. He literally is an encyclopedia of Houston real estate investing. He'll tell you, oh, the woodlands, you got to watch out for the stucco in the woodlands. They had problems back in the 80s with this. Watch out. No, that place was built with Chinese drywall. They got most of it out, but there's still... He is an encyclopedia. And I've watched him comp properties before. Yeah, His daughter was a realtor. He had his MLS access and he taught a class one time. He printed every How old? I'm dating myself. He printed everything out and brought it to the class. So he <laughs> <laughs> it off the MLS. And he went through and showed like, you look at this photo here. This has vinyl siding on this house. This one has hardy plank or whatever. Do you guys get that crazy specific in your deals or I mean, as needed or? Yeah. In all transparency, it's
0: case by case, right? Yeah. yeah. I want to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned because I think they're important to flush out really quickly. Okay. That level of detail that Ray and his daughter used is absolutely necessary, right? If you have the time to knock that out, right? So if you think about the world of lending and investing, right? What are we all stacked up? Right?
1: 24 hours in a day.
0: That's right. That's right. And houses and inventory can move. Something you see at 8am tomorrow morning can be gone at 2pm that afternoon, Mm -hmm. right? So do I think that that's critical? And do I think there's a place for absolutely, if you have the time. The other thing that I want to just kind of rewind back and talk through before I answer your question specifically is, I'd imagine that for everyone who's a lender, a, a seller, a real estate agent like myself, what we really need to study when we're thinking about comparables is buyer behavior, right? Oh, yeah. Right, so in my own crazy psyche sometimes, I'm looking at it more from another angle, right? So what do most buyers tend to want when they purchase a house, right? Well, first and foremost, depending on who the buyer is, if it's a first-time home buyer, they're looking typically for something pristine, right? That's clean, that's move-in ready. If I'm working with an investor, they're looking at a potential, right? And so just to kind of give you some couple of specific examples in my psyche, right? So if I'm working with a first-time home buyer, I am going to tell my seller, hey, your house is positioned in a place where typically we're going to get traffic from first-time home buyers, right? And the way I know that is school systems, new commercial property, there's an allure to the area that everyone's chasing after right so you think about the early 90s with Cinco Ranch right oh yeah it was like boom right first and second time home buyers there weren't many investors flooding the area mm-hmm. right of course right Cinco developers
1: Ranch. but not investors yeah
0: <laughs> so buyer behavior right on the flip side so for any buyer typically a buyer who wants to be a first time or second time home homeowner and so one of the things that I tend to, I guess, anchor to, if you will, is everyone wants space, right? So, And so not just square footage. So when we talk about square footage, that's just a number in most respects. How is the house configured, right? <laughs> is there a good functionality? Meaning, like you mentioned the house out in Royal Oaks that had the crazy tops or whatever. Yeah. How many houses have you walked into, Keith, where... The minute you walk through the garage, there's something funky like a bathroom, a powder room <laughs> that's connected to the garage, right? That's weird, right? Yeah. Although the square footage may say it's 3,000 square feet, how's it, right? And so I think that's something that we all need to pay attention to as investors, lenders, and agents and sellers, right? Is my house configured with the functionality of someone who's looking to buy this house or did I make some improvements to that home that's wacky, right? And- mm it's a turnoff, right? So buyer behavior is key. But to answer your question specifically, yes, we do get that in depth around comp sometimes if it necessitates because it makes no sense for me to work with any of my investors and give them kind of a price point that's way off from reality, right? Mm-hmm. It does us no good. We waste time. I lose credibility. They lose confidence, right? Yeah. It's, it's terrible experience. So we do do that when time is available. Mm-hmm. And when the property requires it,
1: your criteria were great. You know, give me half a mile, don't cross a major road, give me something in that area. And yeah, old comps, that's fine. That shows the trend looking back. But what's like you said, what's been the most recent? When I've gotten my CMAs or my BPOs in lieu of appraisals, all I'm looking for generally is like you said, give me that range where you think it is. And give me the links to the photos so I can, <laughs> yeah. I can dig down. And then, because I always go back and I go look at the crime. Out this right. side of town, the schools are, uh, that's why people move out here. Yep. Unfortunately. And we'll talk about Katie Taxes some other time, different shit. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <laughs> not enough time for that. <laughs> You're the first realtor that I've brought. Oh, man, I feel honored. Yeah, you're the first, man. It's, it's, <laughs> that's your job. You're a retail real. Some people have gotten licensed through the investing side of things. But as far as your primary source of income, you're going to retail buyers. But you also realize hey, these investors, yes, there's only, what is it, 12% of the houses that are sold don't get listed or whatever. There's a niche, but your entrepreneurial spirit. Hey, I've already got this one source coming in through real estate. Why can't I have subsequent sources to come through? So, and people quit asking realtors for free stuff. Okay. (laughs) I have (laughs) too many friends that are like, well, I need to get a realtor friend so I can get free comps. It doesn't work that way. Right. I feel like that old lady on the Facebook wall, she's putting photos up on the walls. I'm unfriending you. And her friend's right in front of her and the lady's like, this is not how this works. This is not how any of this (laughs) works. (laughs) There's got to be some reciprocity. I know realtors will charge for CMAs. Yep. Someone in their office will handle it. And they, okay, look, this is for an investor. This is not for a retail buyer. So the criteria is going to be a little different. Yep. So on and so forth. I want to get that out there. Quit badgering. I do feel bad for my realtor friends <laughs> because I know they get badgered all the time. <laughs> that's what my first point. And something you mentioned, it really tied back your buyer behavior. And that's a good distinction of if it were to be a retail sale, what kind of buyer would be coming in? Yeah. Make the woman happy. <laughs> if she likes the house, the husband will sign the papers.
0: Smart man. Ask That's me how right. I know. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> As investors, we always look at, always have more than one exit strategy. Yep. So, like, okay, you're going to flip the house. Great. What if it doesn't sell? You're going to rent it. You're going to owner finance it, or can you, can you refi it? What are your exit strategies? And I think it's also important when looking at comps. I like that you bring in the buyer behavior to that. And I've never quite heard it done. I mean, maybe somebody has said that, but not if they did, I didn't hear it. It didn't speak Fair to enough. me. So I like, I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, definitely want to incorporate that. And like you said, the first time buyers back in my earlier life when I built homes for MHI, I found that, yeah, they want everything to be absolutely pristine. Mm. And unfortunately, people who come from apartments think that new homes come with maintenance men, <laughs> they're the construction managers, and they don't.
0: We laugh and joke about that, right? But again, Really understand the psychology of consumers, right, is what I was talking about here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that goes well above and beyond any data point that I could share, right? Yes. The MLS doesn't even speak to that, right? As great as the MLS, and I use MLS every day, right? I could probably tell you what the UI looks at right now from left to right. But at the end of the day, right, what's the psychology of consumers in today's market, Right. We can divert into generational psychology, right? How our baby boomers purchase versus our millennials. The reality is if you don't follow buyer behavior, you may lose in this business from time to time, meaning you may make the wrong investment. You may invest too much, may invest too little. You may put the wrong materials in there. You may configure the home the wrong way, right? So I think really keeping a pulse on that is important. To be honest with you, I never really caught wave of that aspect of it until someone that I trust and who I see as a mentor in this business brought that to my attention. Rashad, if you don't understand buyer behavior, you're doing a disservice to your clients, right? He was exactly right. (laughs) So uh, we can deep dive into that later, but I do think I just want everyone on the call and everyone in the audience to catch that and and think through that, right? Think about your experience as a home buyer. I think that's the first place we all should start, right? Mm -hmm. What did we want in our first home, our second home, or what have you? What do we want in our first investment property, our first project, right? What were we looking for in the ideal situation? Well, guess what? Anybody who's who's coming along right after you is looking for the same thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think we have to start there and then build upon our strategy based on that.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna noodle on this for a little while. I like (laughs) (laughs) if we can't do another show or something. Yeah. Like I said, you're absolutely right, it's buyer behavior, and that should be part of the exit strategy. For everybody involved in the transaction, I got my notes going on that. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to probably do a part two on this at some point. Hopefully, I didn't divert too far from the beaten path. But no, no, not at all. Like I grew up in the Atari Nintendo generation. <laughs> I was probably a candidate for Ritalin, but was too old. Like I'd already had the ADD <laughs> or whatever. And my dad always said it's just nothing wrong with that boy; just needs an ass whooping from time to time to get him <laughs> keep him straight. <laughs> I would grow up down here in the South, but, uh, That's right. <laughs> <it's true. laughs> but I do have that shiny objects and squirrel. But no, this is, especially as I uh, try to teach people how to stay safe as lenders and to give them every edge at the last second before you decide if all the numbers look good on a deal, whether you're lender or the borrower or the investor, or whatever. I always like to go for the gut check. What's my gut telling me? What's that last, uh, is there a voice in my head? Is my belly telling me, you know what? Yeah, there's a, maybe a 5% chance this goes wrong, but there's a 95% chance it goes really right for you. I like those odds. So I always go with the gut check. And I think the buyer behavior aspect and the psychology aspect really, and like you said, like the MLS is as much information as it has. It's limited in that psychological aspect because no algorithm is going to tell you what color that wife wants in the living room or the kitchen right. or the man cave. Should it have brown leather, black leather? Should we allow cigar smoking? there's some part of the human condition that can not be quantified or or put into an algorithm. So yeah, definitely want to get you back on. And I'll talk to you offline. We'll figure out. Yeah. Let's get granular. Let's get crazy granular. let's do that. real quick, that's the
0: beauty of a real estate agent. I got to throw this plug out here, right? Please. No, absolutely. Anyone's out there and they want a deep dive into what we were just talking about, right? Buyer behavior, the psyche of a buyer, psyche of a home buyer specifically. Let's chat, right? Cornerstone Property Group would love to help you guys and guide you. Not everything will matriculate into a transaction. We get that, right? We take more of an educational approach to the market, Keith, right? So if I can impress anything upon this audience and in this call is that be mindful about what you're doing, right? Don't just wake up and, and start investing or lending and buying, right, and selling. Love it. To have a strategy, right? yeah, no, yeah.
1: Have a strategy, be intentional.
0: Yep, absolutely. Way too many deals go wrong when people just pop up. Right,
1: <laughs> and this Kevin, and I want you to, to give us your links and your number and everything here in a moment. But that's the one thing that I struggle with, or I still struggle with, and as I try to coach now and lenders is you got to be safe, you got to be intentional, you need to think about what you're doing. But at the same time, if I hadn't had a little bit of recklessness, I wouldn't be here. Absolutely. And for me, it's how do I balance? I sat at the back of the RIA meetings for three years, not doing anything, thinking that I was an investor. Because I went and listened and I was absorbing all this, which was good. You need to take that information in, but you need to go press the flesh and shake somebody's hand and say, hey, how you doing? I'm a newbie. There's nothing wrong with being a newbie, right? Plus, people are going to sniff out a newbie anyway. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to tell anybody you're a newbie. Don't figure well, it out. Yeah, Get the process going. Start talking to people, right? So like with me, I found that real quick, I had a problem talking to sellers and potential buyers, like as outgoing as I am. I couldn't have conversations about, I'd like to buy your house. Yeah. So I had to three years in Toastmasters, public speaking, get get over that hump and get out there. And like you said, it put me into the word you use, earlier, proximity. It put me in the proximity of people who are successful real estate investors, full-time investors, Ray Sassers, one of them, Linda Muscarello, for example. These people that are in the Houston, kind of the big heavy hitters, I should say, in the Houston real estate game that put me into that. Definitely reach out to Rashad. Don't abuse him, but definitely reach out. <laughs> is there to help and give us the full plug, man. Give us all your info. How do we get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Cornerstone Property Group, www.cpgsales. So that's S E L L S, Houston.com. That's our website. Go check us out. We can also be reached at info at cpgsaleshouston.com. And I'll share some of the links to our social media feeds. Or you can reach out to me direct, 832 888 4836. And
1: love to help, love to talk. This is what I do. So, you're a brave man. You put your phone number out there, people call them. That's okay. All the links that Rashad's talking about go to the show notes over at privatelenderpodcast.com. We'll have all the links, have a little more information about Rashad. And let's thank your wife. <laughs> <laughs> getting yeah. licensed, getting into the game, and then uh, bringing you along as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll pass that along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell her I said hi. And, uh, yeah. We know, look, Abe, hey, it's. I'm not a fool. I wasn't raised a dummy. Um, <laughs> I have the illusion of power in my house. That's it. That's, that's right. It. Hey, that, that's, that's, that's the
0: best way of saying that. Illusion.
1: <laughs> full disclosure, full transparency. So Rashad, thank you so much for coming on today. I really do appreciate it. And we'll get in, we'll figure out a, another granular conversation and, and get into buyer behavior here, hopefully pretty soon, because that's something I definitely want to get into. Yeah. Keith, thanks for having me. All right. You take care, man. I'll speak All to right. you soon. Take care. And there you have it, folks. I told you there's going to be some bombs dropped. Now, there's a lot of common sense, but there's a lot of good insight in, in, in there as well that a lot of people don't think about all the time. And I really wanted Rashad to come on and give that kind of, that realtor's perspective. But he's, you know, he got rid of a lot of Harvey inventory. And so he's, he's also got that eye for the investment side. So I, I really hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And, uh, you know, hearing his, his perspective. If you'd like to learn more about Rashad or connect with him, go to the show notes page at podcast.com episode 79. And don't forget, if you want to get 25% off the ticket to the Quest Trust Company's Self-Directed IRA Expo, 25% off the ticket, it's like 350 for a three-day event for VIP, and I think it's like $100 or 150 for non-VIP. It's very, very reasonable. When you get 25% off, go to privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash expo, EXPO, use promo code PL Podcast and get off, and I will see you August 23rd through 25th at the Royal Sonesta Galleria in Houston. That's not an affiliate link. It would be nice if it was, but it's not. So I just want to beat Scott Carson. I don't get any money for that. So please help me do that. If you buy your ticket, spread this, put it on Facebook, spread the word to other people, other investors or people interested in not only just private money, but also just all types of real estate. It's a great place to be. And it'd be a tremendous amount to me. It'd be a great, I'd be in a great place if you could leave me an honest rating and review over at iTunes. The more ratings and reviews that this podcast receives, it helps put it into the ears of more people who want to take control of their money and their future on their terms, you know, just like us. Uh, you can connect with me on social media, go to the show notes page, all that's there. I appreciate you listening. I want to thank you for your time and your consideration. I do appreciate it. And please, please keep reaching out to me. I really appreciate all the feedback that I receive. I don't always get to respond in a timely manner. Some, some of it I'm finding out that I haven't responded at all. So I apologize, but. I'm getting the hang of all this, slowly but surely, but I do appreciate the feedback. It's a bit listen to me, man. It's time to go, isn't it? (laughs) So besides health and happiness and self-awareness, I really do wish you guys all safe and prosperous private lending, and I'll catch you on the next episode.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please
1: rate and review and we'll catch you next time.